change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podskiwiwi. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, we have a lot of, let's be honest, depressing stuff to get into in this episode. But let's start off with something a little light. How about that? Did you see the new Winnipeg Blue Bombers jerseys? Mm-hmm. I did. They're awful, right? Uh, hideous. I mean, I mean, not necessarily hideous, but just I just don't like the logo on the front like that. And it's just so, it's a big W. Like we talked about this last last year earlier in the season that uh we didn't like the winnipeg blue bombers logo we like the jerseys that they normally wear but not the logo now it's like right on the front like a hockey jersey uh not for me yeah like the color i think the color scheme's awesome and if they would have just gone with that color scheme and then just regular you know number on the front number on the back i think that would have been a home run but i'm with you man like the the crest on the front just screams pandering to the hockey crowd to me And it's not the worst jersey I've ever seen. And I'd like to, what are some of the worst? Like, it, this is a bad jersey. I'm not I'm not going to say that. Like, this is a bad jersey. I, I hate it. Did you remember the signature jerseys? The Bombers had a really bad one of those. The Riders had a terrible one. And the Argos had one. I'm pretty sure theirs had, like, the giant A on the front. Like, what is it with CFL teams wanting to put logos on the front? I don't get it. No, I don't get it either. But like, like you said, maybe it's just because uh, we're such a hockey country that they're trying to, you know, get some of those fans. But it, yeah, it, it just doesn't make sense for football. It's it's uh, it's it's not not a very appealing look. Um, I think the the Elks actually did that too. They had the EE on the they front. They did. You're right. They did a couple did. years ago. So yeah, I don't like it. Any other bad jerseys that you can think of off the top of your head? Well, speaking of jerseys with logos on the front, I remember the Argonauts had the Jason on the front of their jerseys in the 90s for a brief time, maybe only a year, but those were hideous. Um, we talked about, uh, before we were recording, all the expansion teams, the U.S. expansion teams did the same thing, the Barracudas, um, the Mad Dogs. You know, it's just not a good look for a football jersey. And, you know, outside of the football world, I remember the Islanders, in hockey had the uh, logo on the front of their jersey for a, a little bit too and those were those were pretty ugly um oh the captain highliner ones yeah um you know i'm a montreal canadians fan and uh they released it like this is a throwback jersey so i guess you know it, it was a striped it looked like a barbershop thing and mm-hmm. then it had a, a maple leaf on the front which is just like ugh. I feel sacrilegious. Yeah, and then it's CAC on the front. They're just very, very ugly jersey, but those are just some that come to mind. Yeah, um, off the top of my head, do you remember the Riders? I believe it was for their 100th anniversary. They wore the like red and black g- uniforms. Like They were mm-hmm. just god-awful. Um, 
NFL wise, there's a there's a few bad ones. The Seattle Seahawks sometimes wear this like lime green, looks like vomit abomination. And then there were a couple of throwbacks. And I get the throwback thing. It's like that's what the jerseys look like. But that's what the jerseys look like before there were televisions and before there was color TV. So like mm-hmm. the Steelers wore these like yellow and black striped jerseys. They were called their Bumblebee alternatives. Yeah, and those they were bad. not they were not good. <laughs> and then the Eagles one time wore this like blue and yellow. Mm-hmm. Like and it's like the Eagles are known for wearing green, like the Philadelphia Eagles. It's, it's green. That's their color. And they wore the it's just I understand wanting to to give a nod to the past. But sometimes just stick with what you got. And and like not that all the jerseys nowadays are great, but it's like if you're going to roll with a uniform, let's let's just kind of stick with what we have. But the, I, I understand the need to, you know, you want to sell more you want to sell more shirts. You want to fans already have all the ones they, they want from this. So you sell them these ones. I don't know. It's just. These bombers ones just kind of tick that like uh you had you had to like it's there the the goodness is there and then you ruined it with one little mistake. Mm-hmm. Big W on the front and now are they doing alternative jerseys for every team this year? I they I think they must be because we've seen who else have we seen kind of debut new look uniforms? Didn't um did did Montreal? No, they debuted the new helmet. New helmet, yeah, which is pretty sharp. Think about that? Yeah, I kind of like I think it. It's nice. It's like you know, I like the uh, the helmets that they had on last year, but they just added like a white stripe or something to it, and it just looks sharper. Yeah, do you feel like the logo pops off the helmet more with like kind of the white white outline? That's what I noticed yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I like it. I, but I feel like I have seen BC, maybe I can't, I can't remember, but I feel like I've seen other teams kind of. I know that BC had a really, I saw a picture of like a helmet that was like an indigenous logo and it looked really yeah. cool. And I know that they're not, you know, necessarily going to be wearing that, but uh, that's what I, I saw and it looked uh, really, really cool. Yeah. I have heard rumors that the Ticats are going to have a gray jersey this year. Um, but I, that we're hope well, crossing our fingers potentially a week away from the start of training camp and haven't, I haven't seen anything about that. So usually you think that they would announce such a thing before a week out from so who knows but that's something that i've heard but i guess we'll have to wait and see if that comes to fruition um okay let's move on to talking about what actually happened with the tie cats this week not just talking about uniforms and it was going to be a whole draft recap but the night before the draft the tie cats swung a deal with the edmonton elks that saw the tie cats send the 8th and 28th overall selections in the cfl draft as well as their ninth pick in the global draft the elks for Canadian offensive lineman Kyle Saxlid, Canadian linebacker Grant McDonald, and the second overall pick in the global draft, which the Ticats then used on Australian punter <laughs> Bailey Flint. So, Mike, when you first heard about this trade, what did you think? Uh, I like it. I like it a lot. You know, for drafting guys, it's going to take a little time unless you're a freak like uh, Revenberg and starting your first season. But otherwise, you know, these guys take some time to develop, most of them. So to get a guy like how do you pronounce Saxlid? I think it's Saxlid. I've never really heard anyone Saxlid. say it. Okay. Well, that's what we'll go with for now. And uh, we, we figured it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, he played, you see 16 starts with the Elks over two seasons. So he played both tackle and guard. He's freaking massive. 6'8", 301 pounds. It's a guy that I would think Chris Jones would be salivating over. And to let him go is kind of a head scratcher to me. But um, this guy's Proven that he can start in this league, and um, yeah, you know how much I love the offensive line. So to add another guy like him is a is a great move. Do you think this points towards the Ticats maybe going five Canadians along the O line? It's a definite possibility. 
Um, they it seems like they have the talent now, but then uh, you know they signed another um, you know American guy that uh, started at Alabama. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later. So, um, but yeah, the five starting Canadians is definitely a possibility. Yeah, do you think what what was the Alabama guy's name? It was it was difficult to pronounce. Like, uh, you know what? Let me look it up because I wrote it down and then I think I accidentally mm-hmm. deleted it off my notes. Yeah, I had it too. Oh, we are, um, we are, we are terrible for, Kirvin. uh, uh Corin Kirvin. Yeah. Uh, part of the, what was it? Oh, five or not. Oh, five, uh, 15, mm-hmm. uh, Alabama championship team. So yep. and he's a, he's a massive dude as well. So I, we know, we know that guys get brought in as camp bodies, but I, even with that signing up, Mike, I think, I think this is pointing in the direction of, of five Canadians along the offensive line. Cause at six eight, is that really a guy you want playing guard? I mean, that would be a massive guard, right? And yeah. I wouldn't complain if we had a guard like that. And then we played a guy American on the a left tackle position. But um, listen, you know, I've made it known that I wouldn't start, you know, a bunch of Canadians on the offensive line. But I have some on there, maybe three. Um, but if they start five Canadians and it works out, then I don't give crap. You know, just make it work. So. <laughs> Well, who cares what I think about the offensive line? If it if it blocks for Dane Evans, then it, it, I'm I'm happy. Do you also now? This is this is my own personal opinion. I also think this trade could be a sign that at some point, maybe this upcoming off season, that Chris Van Zyl might retire, and this is their move mm-hmm. to get his replacement already in house. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, that's absolutely a possibility. Chris Van Zyl is thir- 38 years old. I mean. He, Lyman can play for a long time sometimes, but you got to think that he's he's approaching the end. So um, if we could get a guy like a uh, guy with a pedigree like Kervin, then, um, you know, develop him for this year. And then in the future, he'll become a starting left tackle. Then uh, I'm all for it. Yeah, or I right guess we'll tackle or whatever. Wherever he, wherever he plays. You, yeah. you get big guys on the edge there. That's all you really care about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, protect, protect Dane. That's all I care <laughs> Exactly. Um, okay, the trade wasn't the biggest thing the Ticats did involving the draft, but because they did make six selections on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just going to run down the picks here. Uh, they selected Queens defensive lineman Anthony Federico, 17th overall. Guelph receiver Keandre Smith, 37th overall. Guelph linebacker Jared Beeksma, 46th overall. Concordia defensive back Kadeem Pierre, 55th overall. Laval offensive lineman Nicholas Gway, 64th overall, and UBC linebacker Jackson Cirillo Brown, 73rd overall. Uh, everyone who knows us knows that we're not going to go in depth here. If you want some in depth analysis on these players, uh, I would tell you to go over to threedownnation.com. John Hodge analyzed each pick as they were happening, or you can go over to the Three Down YouTube page. There's a video three about three and a half hours long if you're if you're so inclined. Where J- Justin Dunk and JC Abbott did a whole live stream during the draft. It's the only thing I watched on draft day. Got more information than I think I would have on TSN. Um, so we're not, like I said, we're not going to do a breakdown of each player because we don't know much about these guys. But I'd like to focus on kind of not the who, but the what of of these draft picks. And do any of Hamilton's selections help you, Mike, in any way try to figure out how they might construct their roster in 2022? Well, you can see like the first pick is the D lineman, so I'm mm-hmm. assuming that he's interior, um, and that would help out with Teddy Laurent, right? So, um, you know, there's there's some interesting picks here. Linebacker 
uh, wide receiver. They acquired a linebacker in the trade as well when they got uh, Sackslid. So I don't see them playing a Canadian and a linebacker, but if someone got hurt, then they could, you know, slide a backup in there and it could help out with the ratio. So um, not, and I was surprised, I guess not surprised since they made the trade, but only one offensive lineman picked. But I like the school that he came from, Laval. So they seemed to pump out a lot of good Canadian Football League players. So I'm happy with that. So the Federico, the defensive lineman, apparently he can play outside too. And Mason Bennett is a uh, tight end draft pick from a couple of years ago. The team's looking for a defensive end after Jagger Davis left to go to Toronto. What if the Ticats are thinking about making that a Canadian position? You got Bennett there. Now you've got a backup in Federico. And then if you want to swap out, you bring Ted Laurent in. You can bring an American. In, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think the Ticats have set themselves up pretty nicely along the defensive line when it comes for, to ratio purposes. And what did you think about the uh, the receiver from Guelph, Keandre Smith, Adrian Pee Wee Smith's son, former Thai Cat, Memphis Mad Dog, and mostly Toronto Argo? Oh, Pee Wee Smith. Uh, I'm thinking of, uh, who am I thinking of? Uh, That receiver in the the 90s uh, for the Calgary Stampeders. Anyways, I'll I'll think of it. But yeah, you're right. Adrian Smith did defensive back for the Argonauts. Yeah, DB went went three times CFL All-Star, won three great cups with the Argos. I had everyone tell me, oh, he played a season with the Ticats. Yes, he played a season with Ticats, but he's mostly known for playing for the Argos. I always like when when teams select players from, of, 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 of guys who have played in the league. Second like, generation dudes. Yeah, second, third generation guys. Like, look at the, I, I know it's we're crossing sports here, but look at all the second generation guys like the Toronto Blue Jays have on their roster right now. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, you get those guys that you know that they come from a family that knows how to, like, what the sacrifices are and all that other sorts of stuff. And he's a receiver they, and a return man. I, yep. I I always like those picks. And then you got uh, the Philpots this year in the draft. Yep. The uh, Corey Philpot used to play in the CFL. So, yeah, I think I think it helps when you have a professional athlete um debt father or uh mother so yeah it's always a it's always a nice thing to you know have those recognizable names as well so putting aside what we're going to talk about later which is maybe the league scrapping the ratio if you look at the tie cats roster now after the draft we're, the, the team the roster is it's not set obviously but it's fairly set i think i would say you could see the team start five canadians on the offensive line you know tunde Delake is going to start Yep. They got they got Ted Laurent. They got the possibility of starting a Canadian at defensive end. Lamar Durant didn't, I was gonna say Lamar Durant didn't come in to not play. You still you still have Ungerer who was a starter for most of last season. You got the I, I know Don Jackson's gonna be the starting running back, but they could if need be start a Canadian running back. Hamilton's got some pretty damn impressive Canadian depth. And for a league that might get away from starting Canadians, that would not be great for our squad, would it? No, it wouldn't. Uh, you're absolutely right. They have really stacked the deck here with a lot of depth and you could play eight or nine Canadians if you wanted to. So, um, you know, the old cliche is you win with Canadian, Canadian, the, the best Canadian talent in the CFLs. And, uh, I'd have to put our, our team up there at the number one, number two in, uh, Canadian depth. So it's, it's always a great thing to have that. Well, just think of, you could theoretically, let's say Don Jackson gets hurt. You could theoretically start seven Canadians, eight Canadians, really, if you want to start two Canadian receivers. On the offensive side of the ball alone, you could start, again, if injuries happen, you could start Laurent, you could start Bennett, 
you could start Katz and Tonus at safety. And if you have to throw Tunde Adelike in at one of the half, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this team has legitimately 12 guys, 12 Canadians that could start in the league. Like that's Canadian depth. You, you dream about, you, you could start eight Canadians on the offensive side of the ball. Like Alone. if you have, yeah, if you have five offensive linemen, um, and Two so you have and a running, a back. running back. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, I mean, that'd be quite the thing. Eight Canadians on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know. That'd be interesting. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta think the Ticats are going to be one of those teams that don't want to see the Canadian ratio get taken right. care of. Right. And if like, they, you know, if they, if they did the whole, you know, four on the offense, three on the defense or three on the offense or whatever, uh, that would mess up a lot of teams identity or, or like who they have. Right. So you couldn't yeah. implement that this season. It would have to be next season. So, so teams can actually prepare for that. Yeah, I feel like that would have to be a gradual implementation, mm-hmm. right? Because you couldn't say after teams have spent the entire offseason building their rosters in a certain way, here's how we're going to do it. And then all of a sudden with the CBA that will be signed, if it's signed re- like soon on the eve of training camp, that all of a sudden, oh, by the way, you got to have four Canadians on the defense, four Canadians on the offense, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, hold on. Like, is that, does that, would that mean a bunch of Canadian guys are going to get released? Does that mean teams are going to go to some of these Canadian guys and and demand they take pay cuts because now you're not a starter? Like, what is that? Like, it, it feels like, like, I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad idea, but it's not one you can implement overnight. No, no, it definitely have to be a thing that uh, is, is down the road because, yeah, it just mess up all the teams. I mean, most of the teams are loaded up on the offensive side of the ball with Canadians. We know this. And, uh, I mean, you'd have to rearrange everything. So, yeah, you're right. And to do it after the draft, too, where teams are also using this yeah. pick because it's like, oh, we're going to start a guy here, so we're going to get a backup or a third stringer. You know what I mean? Like, the idea that the league will just overnight make this rule change and teams are going to ha- just going to have to adapt feels, I mean, I don't think unfair is the right word, but it just, it ill-advised, I think would be would be the right word because teams have spent the last five months building a roster. Okay, this is how we're going to construct our team. And that's every team across the league. Now, some teams might, it might be easier. Obviously, we look at the Ticats roster, it'd probably be a lot harder. But like, do, do the Ticats make a move to bring in another starting caliber Canadian offensive lineman if they think they're only going to be starting four Canadians on the offensive side of the ball? I don't mm-hmm. think they would. Definitely not. Uh, definitely not. So, um, you know, I don't know where this is going to go. It's going to be very interesting, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see with all the mayhem going on right now. We will indeed. Um, moving on, new rules. Uh, the CFL announced that there were going to be a bunch of new rules for the 2022 season. Uh, we kind of went over, we didn't go over this because I think it came out the day after we recorded our last episode, but we kind of knew this was coming. There there has been talk about a bunch of new rule changes coming in. So these are the ones the league has, has gone with. The hash marks that we talked about before, they have moved from 17 yards apart to nine yards apart, which means it will be 28 yards from each sideline. Drives will start at the 40-yard line after a field goal or a single. Kickoffs move from the 35-yard line to the 30-yard line. Kickoffs following a safety move from the 25-yard line to the 20-yard line. This one caught my eye, and this I think this is one we're going to spend a, a lot of time on. All no-yards penalties are now 15 yards. The the five-yard after the ball touches the ground, that one's gone. Uh, punts out of bounds, the, that penalty will now be assessed uh between the 15-yard lines as opposed to where it used to be inside the 20-yard lines. Uh, two quarterbacks are now going to be allowed to be on the field at the same time. I didn't even know that that was a rule. Did you? No, <clears throat> I didn't know. Like, I've never seen it. anyone implement that. 
but yeah, I, I had no idea that you couldn't do it. Okay. I, I, yeah. When I saw that, I was like, that's new. I didn't, it's like, you remember a few years ago when the wildcat took off in the NFL, the Miami dolphins did it against mm-hmm. the, and then the league had to put in a, a rule a couple years later saying like, Oh, non quarterbacks can now take snaps. It's like, why was that ever like, no, you can never yeah. do a direct snap. Like, that's just stupid. Like, why would that ever have been a rule? I know. And I remember, you know, that was a, that was a staple of the Argonauts uh, offense back in the nineties with Doug Foody. They did that direct snap to the mm-hmm. uh, running back all the time. And I don't know. I, I like that play. I don't know why people don't do that anymore, but anyways. <laughs> uh, okay. Continuing on Commun- There will be a communication coordinator on each sideline to help quickly communicate with coaches and coaches can also communicate with them about calling timeouts or initiating a challenge. I think that will save a ton of time. Uh, a penalty that is called at the end of the first or third quarter will now be assessed at the start of the next quarter, with the exception of a team wanting it in that quarter. This was really weirdly worded to me, but I think I got the gist of it because they would gain an advantage. And the example used was they would have the wind behind their backs for uh, for right. a kick if they needed to kick one. Yeah. Uh, the command center has, has had their powers enhanced. They can now assist with possession rulings, boundary rulings, and administrative rulings like illegal formation or ineligible receiver downfield. There's a new objectionable conduct flag for QBs who fake slide. I will be referring to this as the Kenny Pickett rule. Uh, I know a lot of people that will fall under their radar, but Kenny Pickett was the quarterback at uh, Pitt last year. And he did this. I think it was in a bowl game where he fake slid and guys, you know, held up because if he slides and you take him out, it's a 15 year penalty. And especially in college, if they call it targeting, you're kicked out of the game. Fake slid, ran for a touchdown. Everyone's like, oh, that's cool. But then it's like, but that kind of goes against Mm. the purpose of like quarterback safety, right? Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, there will be an ejection for any player who gets two unnecessary roughness or objectionable conduct flags or a combination of both for penalties occurring after the play. So lots to unpack here, Mike. We can either start from the from the first one and go down, or you can just tell me which ones these you like and which ones you don't. Let's go through them all, Josh. All right, let's start with the hash marks. We kind of talked about this one <clears throat> last week, but uh, now that it's official, are, are you on board? Yeah, I'm on board. Um, I just think you're going to get more plays to the wide side of the field. And, uh, you know, from stuff I've been reading is that, you know, the guy out there basically wasn't even playing. Like they, they just ignored him completely. And we could see that watching the games that they just didn't throw the ball out there because it's, it was a very dangerous throw being so far away, you know, that could be picked off for a pick six at almost every time if you're not careful. So, um, I really like this rule. I think it's going to open up things. You know, I've heard some arguments that it won't, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see how it how it plays out. And like we talked about uh, on the last episode, if it doesn't work, then they can change it easily next yep. season. So I, I like it. Yeah, give it, this is one of those ones where I'm on board because let's give it a shot. If it works, mm-hmm. great. If it doesn't, go back to the old way or or nudge it a little bit. Make maybe maybe nine yards apart is too close. Maybe make it twelve. You know what I mean? Like. I, I'm not opposed to tweaking the rules in a way to try to make the game better. So mm-hmm. if this works, great. If it doesn't, you can always try something else. And let's be honest. I mean, last year was really tough to watch. Yeah, it was. And then, then and some changes needed to be made. So um, we'll see how this goes. All right. Drive starting at the 40 after a field goal or a single. Your thoughts? Uh, I like it. I, I'm, I, I could take it or leave it. Uh, Better field position is obviously uh, a good thing for the offenses. So um, I think we'll get more more points uh, if we start, you know, at a better position. 
this felt like unnecessary to me. The, I, you know what I mean? Like I five yards, I don't really think it's going to make that yeah. much of a difference. So I'm not like totally opposed to it, but I'm also like, all right, give it a shot. But to me, it it didn't. I didn't feel like starting at the 35 was like an overly overly hindered the offense in in marching down the field. I still think you got 85 yards to go for a touchdown. Like I I don't know, just it or seven. Sorry, 75. My math is off this morning. Um, 75 yards to go for like it, it didn't feel all that like adding the five yards to me. It's like I'm not I'm not angry about it. I'm not in favor of it. Just this. This one feels like something that I don't think we're going to notice all that big a difference mm. as the season goes no. on. But I, try, I don't. Again, I, I definitely it. don't think it's a game changer or anything like yeah. that. Um, we discussed this one before kickoffs moving from the 35 to the 30. I know you're pro it. I'm kind of anti it. Now that it's official, you, you you're sticking with your pro stance. Yeah, I'll stick with the pro. Yeah, I just again I don't again five yards doesn't feel like it doesn't feel all that that important but that maybe that's just me and we'll, we'll see as 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 the season goes on if it if it does involve uh, you know better field position which means increased scoring what we'll if we put it on the you get it on the op, uh, the opposing teams <laughs> oh jesus oh my god that would <laughs> be insane <laughs> now we're talking now we're taking now we're making wholesale changes yeah, 150 uh, 120 scores <laughs> yeah that's not what i want really you know what i mean like i remember ambrosi saying you know, the scores are going to be 50 to 49 every game. And that's, you know, I want more offense, but it doesn't have to be arena football for me to no. enjoy it. You know what no. I mean? So um, that's not what I'm looking for. No, what I'm looking for, because, and I know we say this a lot, we both watch NFL games. I watch them much more than you do, I think. Um, not every game in the NFL, like, yeah, there's there's the, there's games like, and I, this is the game I'll bring up probably until I'm dead, the, the Chiefs-Bills playoff game from this past January. It was awesome. And it was high scoring. It was back and forth. Go, 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 go. But there was also like the Super Bowl was was pretty entertaining. And like I've seen games like that finished 23-20 that mm-hmm. have some big defensive plays or, or games that finished 27-23. Like it doesn't have to be like high scoring doesn't mean a great offense necessarily. It can mean terrible defense and low scoring doesn't mean terrible offense. It can mean amazing defense. Like you can have both and that's the fun of football is that you get both right like mm-hmm. it doesn't we don't ha- i don't need 55 50 games every single game i i the thing i like about football is the variety when two teams play and their strategies and you don't know what could happen and what like that's the the the, the thing that interests me most about football mm-hmm. is is how teams prepare and, and their game plan going into the week and how they execute it and how that can lead to scores or the defense you know what i mean like mm-hmm. the idea that we all just want more, 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 more when it comes to points. I don't think it's necessarily true. I think you can have higher scoring games and still have the defense matter. Like to me, you know, 33-30 is just as exciting as, you know, 60 to 59. Mm-hmm. And maybe even more so, because at least in, in those, uh, those you know, those 33-30 games, you get teams playing some defense. Yeah, it's nice to see the, uh, you know, the, the competition between the offense and the defense. It was just like, um, what I don't want to see is two and outs every single. Exactly. Exactly. You know, some sustained drives would be nice. Yeah. The, the, the constant two and outs is that it's the flow of the games interrupted. You want to see, and you, and we know we're going to get two and outs. You get three and outs in the yeah, NFL, yeah. You get three and outs in, in NCAA, like teams aren't going to rack up yardage and, and get points every single time they're on the field. 
that's fine. But yeah, it's it's like the game start. It's like it's three two at halftime, and each mm-hmm. team has one and a half first downs combined. You know what I mean? Like it's that stuff that you don't want to see. You want to see the ball getting moved, and if that leads to punts, to me that's fine because special teams is a part of the game too. But yeah, I'm you know look, again we're we're trying things to increase scoring. Okay, let's just I just don't want them to push it too far in one direction where it kind of makes the games feel like a video game. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, next. This one I actually like. Kickoffs following a safety move from the 25 to the 20 because what I'm hoping this does is stops teams from conceding safeties when they don't have to. Yeah, I, I really don't like that play. You know, the you just don't see it in any other forms of football. The punter, and I, I know, I think we talked about this before too, but it doesn't seem to matter. Like, the, why are the punters running around and wasting yep. time? Like, every single time. Even when, like, the, their team has the wind in the quarter, or it just doesn't make sense to me. So, if we can get rid of those, then I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, okay, this is the one I kind of touched on when we were running down them. All no yards penalties are now 15 yards. What do you make of this? I think it's a good idea because players were taught uh, that, to just, you know, impede on that five yards. Um, Once the ball touches the ground, go. Yes, yes, when the ball touches the ground. Yep. Yep, so um, I think this is going to, you know, the players are going to take this penalty seriously now. The coaches are going to tell them to take it seriously. And it's going to lead to more returns, more exciting returns, if they're not calling a flag on every return. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So I like this idea, too. Yeah, no, I'm I'm all in favor of this one. When I when I first started, I was skeptical, and then when I started thinking about it, and saw it seemed well, coaches were teaching players if the ball hits the ground, just go tackle them because we'd rather give up five than give up forty five. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, yeah, if this leads to more more returns, bigger returns, not necessarily touchdowns, but just you know twenty thirty yard returns, set offenses up. I think that's a good thing. I also like this next one: punts out of bounds. The penalties now assessed the fifteen instead of the twenty. I don't have a problem with that either. I think. Uh, you're you're now rewarding punters for being even more accurate with their kicks and you're making it so that returns, which is the one, one of the things the CFL has over other brands of football is the return game still matters. And I think that making it more difficult for teams to just kick the ball to bounds away from some of these talented returners. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, a lot, a lot of people love that part of the CFL and, and I love it too. It just seems that, recently it just hasn't been happening as much as it used to you know back in the day when henry gizmo williams was around and 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 returners like uh bashar levingston in toronto or you know there's been so many many of them throughout the years that have become major superstars in this league because that's one of the most exciting plays in football and uh i hope we can get it back now well and think of some of the guys who plied their trades as return men who then became great receivers uh Speedy B is a perfect example of that. Brandon Banks has not become a Hall of Fame receiver if he's not given a chance to show what he can do on special teams his first few years in the league. Um, Arlan Bruce was a return man for Winnipeg before he went to the NFL and then came back and became a future Hall of Famer, maybe borderline, but I think he should be in the Hall of Fame receiver for the Argos, Ticats, and a bunch of other teams. Like, guys make, and th- and that's the thing about CFL too, guys come in and they make their name on special teams and then sometimes get a chance to star on offense if if it if they were just catching punts and getting tat, you know what I mean? Like it wouldn't, or kicks were just going out of bounds. Those guys wouldn't be able to make a name for themselves. Where, where would, would we have ever heard of Marcus Thigpen without the mm-hmm. ability of, you know what I mean? Like there's so Chris many, Williams. 
Chris Williams. Like, there's so many talented. Like, we're just rhyming off Ticats guys at the top of our head because that's who yeah. we remember. But or for crying out loud, Earl Winfield was a was a returner right. and receiver at the same time. So, and and teams across the league are littered with these guys in their history. That like you mentioned, Gizmo Williams, the greatest returner of of all time. One of my favorite players ever. Never played for the Ticats. I loved watching Gizmo play because any time so that there was a kick going to him, it was like he could take this to the house. Yeah. He was Devin Hester in the CFL before Devin Hester was a thing. You know what he I mean? was so, a major, major star at Edmonton. Like, yeah, he was a weapon. He, yeah, you could come up with like some of the NHL guys. Like, he was just as well known. Like, I, yep. obviously, I didn't live here at the time, but you know, he's just such a revered athlete in the city. He was as a as a. I don't believe he ever spent any significant time on the offensive side of the ball as strictly a kick and punt returner. He was one of the five faces of the league in the 80s and 90s. Like, mm-hmm. everyone yep. knew who Gizmo was. The backflip in the end zone when he scored yep. a touchdown. Like, you're just a marketable guy. Yeah, which the CFL needs more of. And maybe we'll get that with guys being able, you know what I mean? Maybe these rules mm-hmm. will help players with that too. Who knows? Um, okay, two QBs allowed on the field at the same time. We kind of touched on this earlier. I didn't even really know that this wasn't a rule. I don't know what this is going to be, but I'm a little excited to see right. if this will lead to some, maybe some innovation from some offensive coordinators instead of being so goddamn stagnant. Right. And um, like, I, I don't even know how this would look, how you would line up two quarterbacks. Would you put one out at the receiver position so you could maybe throw a, a backward a pass? Yep. You, yeah. And then, you know, he throws it downfield, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm for it. Uh, it sounds like an interesting idea. Let, let's try it out. You know what I would be in favor of? The XFL, the the 2020 version that got shut down to the pandemic. They had it where you could throw two passes as long yeah. as the first one was behind the line of scrimmage. I'd be fine with that as a rule, too. Why yeah, does it have to be a lateral? You're behind the line of scrimmage. I, I, but I feel like any pass behind the line of scrimmage should also be c- considered a fumble. So if it's a forward pass, but it takes place behind the line of scrimmage, it's a fumble. Because we see now those like forward shovel passes on like these like screens and these like jet sweeps. And then they drop and it's like, nope, it's an incomplete pass. I think any pass behind the line of scrimmage can go forward or backward. But if it does, if it isn't caught, it's a fumble. I think that would be a tremendous rule. And would also tilt things a little bit more in favor of the defense. You know what I mean? Like we're doing all these rules to help the offense. What about this rule to help the defense? I think that would be a kind of a fair balance to this. But the two QB things I'm, I'm kind of interested in seeing. Yeah, uh, I'm interested to see if any teams actually use this. Actually do it? Well, Edmonton will. Yeah. You know Jonesy will. He's got That's 700 true. quarterbacks on that roster. He's not. He's not not yeah. using two of them not to play. They're all from Ohio State. They're all from Ohio State, <laughs> which isn't a bad school, but yeah, it's an interesting. Yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting character. Uh, it's it's exciting having him back in the CFL. That's for sure. I agree. He may be a a, a D head, but mm-hmm. he he does make things. He does make things a little more interesting, and that's little what Don he, Matthews back in the CFL is not a yep. bad thing. I don't think. Yep, I agree with you. Does he come um, from his coaching tree? That is a good question. Yeah, you definitely got the sure. Matthews attitude, that's for sure. Yeah, we'll, have, we'll have to look that up uh, at some point. I'm sure someone will listen to the episode and tell us yes or no. We yeah. all, When it comes to things like this, there's always someone who knows more than we do. And we all, mm-hmm. I'll, Don't get me wrong. I, I hate not knowing, but I also appreciate learning. And nothing bad about yeah. that. Uh, okay, the communication coordinator on the sideline helping to communicate coaches with referees and for coaches to be able to call timeouts or initiate challenges without the refs coming over. I like this. I think this will speed up the game. Yep. Anything that can speed up the game is is a good thing. You know, no one wants to see a a referee huddle for five minutes. So, uh, yeah, the communication thing is a good thing. Or think think about if 
I'm thinking about Tim Hortons Field and the Thai Cats. Their sideline, both sidelines are on the same side. I know people don't like that, but it is what it is. But the Thai Cat sideline is down at the, I guess you would call it the southwest corner of of the stadium. What if there is a play happening on the far hash mark at the five yard line on the northeast corner of the stadium, and all of a sudden, you know. Steinauer wants to talk to the ref and they got to saunter all the way over there. They got to right. go like 90 yards. To t- Why not? Like this, this feels like a no brainer. This should have been, I mean, I probably not something they ever thought about because as innovations come, things change. But I think this, like I said, this would just be a way to speed up the game. And I like the idea of them being able to talk to this person on the sideline about initiating a challenge. Cause how many times have we seen coaches throw that challenge flag? I remember a specific instance with, Orlando Steinhauer in a game against the Riders where he wanted to throw a challenge flag. It was out, but no one saw it. They let the play go, and I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure the Riders scored a touchdown on it and won that game. I think this is a good thing. I think it'll speed up the game. Yep, anything that can, uh, you know, people want to, don't want to watch a long, you know, three hours plus game uh, these days. That's why, like, baseball is, is having our time in the States, I think, because it just lasts for so long. So um, if you can if you can make it three hours or less, then uh, I'm all for that. For sure. Um, this one to me is is kind of whatever. The penalties at the end of the first or third quarter yeah, will be assessed yeah. at the start of the next quarter. Uh, this, yeah, okay, that's fine. I sure, mean, I, why, sure. why wasn't this done years ago? I don't really understand why the quarter had to continue. Um, command center power is being enhanced. Again, I don't have a problem with this either. Uh, I'm guessing you don't as well? No, I mean, as long as the command center aren't buffoons um i know that they have been in <laughs> well in the we past. Can't, can't guarantee that no but uh but, the, but yeah. these are like these are these are easy, like you know was did he have the ball which i mean that's uh-huh. that's a subjective ruling if there ever was one but like is he in bounds was it an illegal formation was it an eligible like those things feel like like they called them administrative rules that feels like okay like it, it's pretty easy to be like there's one, two, three. Oh, there's not enough guys in the line of scrimmage or, Oh, this guy wearing number 55 is downfield when he shouldn't be like, those feel like easy things yep. to kind of correct. That shouldn't take like, like you said, co- or, uh, a referee conference for five minutes to figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As long as they can uh, get to this decision quickly and move it along, then let's, let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Kenny Pickett rule, the fake sliding, that's, that's a good rule too. Yeah, that's a good. Rule. It's just, it's a, if utilized by the quarterback, it's just unfair because the rule is there for their safety. And if they're taking advantage of it, then it shouldn't be. Yeah. And like, I thought it would, when Kenny Pickett did it in that game, I was like, that's dope. But then I'm like, Oh, but if he got lit up and actually yeah. slid that poor kid that hit him would have been tossed into the game would have been called dirty. Mm-hmm. If, if the rule is there, if the slide is there to protect the quarterbacks, they can't be using it as a move to gain extra yards. I, I, I don't think there's any problem with this. And lastly, uh, ejection for any player who gets two unnecessary roughness or objectionable conduct penalties that occur after the play. I don't have a problem with this either. Um, no. I mean, objectionable conduct penalties can be something stupid like lipping off to the ref. But if you're, you know, talking smack to the ref, I think you should get a flag anyway. Like, they're supposed to be the the rulers, like the adjudicators. Like, you can't be talking to them. And if you get two unnecessary roughness flags after the play, I think you should be kicked out anyway. Yeah, but it's a player safety issue and... Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I'm for that, too. Yeah, like those scrums we see on Labor Day. I mean, yeah. I love them and all, but guys, there's there's times when they've let guys stay in the game and they probably should have been tossed. James mm-hmm. Walter Jr. dragging Simone Lawrence by his face mask a couple of years ago is, mm-hmm. I think, a key example of that. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I think for all these rules, like the only one that I'm really, and again, I say against, but I'm not like, 
oh, how dare they was moving the kickoffs back. But other than that, I think that these are all uh, either they're they're completely inoffensive or I I like them. Same with you. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I don't I do, I'm not offended by by any of these really. I was surprised that the uh, the holding idea wasn't on there. You know, reducing it to a five yard penalty instead of a ten. But uh, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I, oh, I forgot about that. I, I hope they loosen up a little bit on the holding calls. Like, yeah, I mean, like you don't have to call every single one. And I know if that they a, probably don't call every single one, but it seems like it sometimes. No, but like one's away from the play and ones that like don't materially impact what actually happened. It's like when they when, you know, they coaches would challenge for legal contact downfield right. on the wide side receiver when the ball went to the short side on a hitch screen. You know what I mean? Like. They, they they put an end to to being able to fish for those calls. I'm the same. Like, yeah, you know what? We we just got to accept that there's going to be flags that are going to get missed. And yes, we're going to be on here after a game where the a holding call was missed and the Tie Cats lost. We're going to be ranting and raving about it. But refs are human. Like every let the guys play. If it if it doesn't materially impact the play, just let the guys play. I don't yeah. I don't see the harm in it. it. This is friggin' entertainment. Like, let's be entertained. Let's not make this. You know, so rules heavy that we you get bogged down and not knowing what the hell's going on. Yeah, and you know, let's let's be honest, the the flags in the last ten years have been a, a you know a, a hindrance to the game. Yeah, for sure. It's been too much. It's been too much. Yeah. All right, now we got to get into the ugly part of the show. We got to talk about the CBA. Seven days as we record today on May seventh until the CBA between the CFL and the PA expires, and it sure feels like the war of words and maybe even more than words is heating up. Uh, we got a report from Arash Madani that the league wanted a 10-year pact with no significant raise in the salary cap over that time. And we also have recently found out that that deal included a proposal to eliminate the Canadian ratio as it comes to the in-game roster. Basically, the league wants teams to be able to play whichever players they want, regardless of nationality. I don't think that the ratio would change on the overall roster. So I don't know how this would work, but the idea of changing the ratio at all has obviously sparked some outrage. We found out that the players association took a strike vote that received 95% support. And we recently found out that the PA told players not to report to training camp, which opened in a week. I mean, rookie camp, I believe opens sometime this upcoming week. Like I think it's the 11th and main camp, I believe opens the 14th or the 15th. And the PA said, don't go to camp if we don't have a new CBA this is getting pretty ugly and maybe uglier than we've seen in any of the more recent negotiations. What are your thoughts on all this? Well, it's like the opposite of what we were expecting, right? Uh, all mm-hmm. the reports were saying that, you know, this is going to be, you know, one of the easier CBAs, you know, it's going to be the players aren't going to fight it and, and all that stuff. Maybe they were expecting a little bit better offer from the, from yeah. the league itself. Um, but it's just dis- disappointing, um, you know, offer a 10 year deal. 10 years with no raise in the salary cap is just a slap in the face. It's insulting. Um, it's absolutely it insulting. It is. It really is. And I know that uh, the league has maybe had some hard times these last two years, but so have the players. Yep. They deserve to get, you know, a fair deal. So it's just, you know, we see this every time the CBA comes up. The league puts it off until it's like 10 days before the season. It's just, it's it's a tactic on their part and it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's a stalling tactic to force these guys' hands. Yep. And this is why the PA has told players to not show up until as late as possible because they know once these guys get up here, 
they're not going to go home. They're going to sign whatever it is because they're already up here. They're already committed to being up here, and they're going to they're going to want to play. And I don't know if there's a way to make it so that the CBA expires earlier, because like I don't know why the Players Association allows it to be this close to the start of the season, um, but they do. And I guess there's really no way to change that. But the, the idea of, of signing a 10-year deal, it's like, oh, that's nice. But the idea that there's going to be no raise in the salary cap over 10 years, which means what if the league does in those 10 years, you know, happen to fall into a new revenue stream? The players mm-hmm. don't get to partake in that? Nope. And, like, when's the last time we had a significant raise in the salary cap, period? Like, we introduced this thing in, what, 06, 07, 08, sometime around then? And I don't think it's gone up very much at all in that time. I think it might've started in some, like the mid 4.5, 4.7 million. And now we're what, like 5.3 over like a 15 year span. Like I understand the owners took a bath because of COVID. And then this last season with, you know, half empty stadiums because of protocols and not a full season and all those sorts of stuff. The players missed out on a year of paychecks. Like, there's got to be some sort of, and again, this is what we heard. And this is obviously, you know, when it comes to negotiations, I'm sure you've been in negotiations with people about stuff. I've been in negotiations. You start with the, with something that's so out of this world, never going to happen. You offer it and then you kind of negotiate from there. But this just feels like an absolute, like I said, slap in the face. Like this is just insulting to the players that you would think that they would even consider this, like if you're going to negotiate in good faith, at least come up with something that might be ridiculous, but at least is in the realm of possibility. Right. This to me was just, there was no chance the players were ever going to agree to this. No, no. And, uh, you know, whenever the salary cap did go up in those few years, it was only by like 50,000 each year. Yeah. And it's just such a minimal amount. And, you know, I wanted the salary cap to go up every year by a significant amount. You know, I, I mean, it was unrealistic, but I wanted it to be at like eight or nine million by now, or maybe even 10. So, um, yeah, it's just, we go through this every time. And it's just very, yeah. very disappointing. And I just, you know, it would be, it would be great if the, the players signed a 10 year deal because we wouldn't have to worry about this, but it's just not fair what they're putting on the table. No, if there was a 10 year deal with incremental increases of the salary cap over those 10 years, I think you'd be, you'd have a starting point. And mm-hmm. what I don't understand is how do we, or how does the league, because I don't think I've ever seen this, and, and, and if it's out there and, I ha- and I'm and i just blind to it, please, someone correct me. How does the league decide what the salary cap for each team is? Because I saw somewhere, it was during, I believe it was during the initial stages of the whole CFL 2.0 global thing, where Ambrosi said something about the league is like $250 million a year in revenue. And I know that the NFL... And again, using the NFL as an as an option is the only one I have because it's the salary caps are so are so similar, except that the NFL is a hard cap. Um, the NFL, it's like it's a, as far as I know, most leagues, the salary cap is a percentage of league revenue. So like I think the NBA is like 50 percent or 52 percent. The NFL is something like 55 percent or something along those lines. If if the CFL makes two hundred and fifty million dollars a year now, obviously, that was pre-COVID. So those numbers might not work now and nine teams have a salary cap of let's say 5.5 million. The math doesn't really work out there to even anywhere close to 50% of league no, revenues. I like, like 45 million or something like that. And that's yeah. Way less, than... way less. And you yeah. can't tell me that the league operates needing that much, like 
you know what I mean? Like the league and the teams need that much extra revenue to be able to run their teams. Then, and, and again, the, I know the number is greater, so you need less of it when it comes to like the NFL and the NHL and all those sorts of stuff. But if an NBA team with multi-million dollar players can operate on 50% of league revenue, why does the CFL need to operate on 75% of league revenue? It doesn't make any sense to me. No, it, it doesn't. And, you know, it would be nice if we knew what each team made each year, you know, open up the books a little bit, but it just doesn't seem, I know that the uh, publicly owned teams have to at the end of the year, but there's only three of those. So mm-hmm. um, I just wish we knew for sure, like the money that's coming into the league and, and the teams in individually, because, you know, it just seems like they're pulling a number out of their hat and just like keeping it the same so they can keep, I'm not saying they're making tons of money, but uh, you know, it just it's just a low ball offer and it's it's very disheartening because we want to get football going here we're 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 so close to the season and all we see online is um players um arguing with the league and and the league putting out press releases and it's just it's just ugly what do you think about the ratio stuff to eliminate it to zero is is another slap on the face i think um Listen, I'm not a huge ratio guy. I, 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 I'm, I'm not gonna stand on, you know, I'm not gonna die on that hill. I know that a lot of people are, but um, I, I, I still, I want Canadians in this league. I wouldn't mind a little reduction in the ratio, maybe like uh, five starters or six. Uh, but to, to offer to eliminate it completely, I mean, it is the Canadian Football League, right? So, I don't like that at all. Can we kill this idea that the CFL is the only league and Canada is the only country that does nationalized ratios? People always talk about, oh, you'd never see this in the States. And it's like, no, you don't have to because A, they have the most money and B, they have the best athletes. Like they train these guys from the time they're five years old. You don't have to have an American ratio in the American leagues. But what's the what's the least popular sport in the United States? It's hockey, right? Like, I mean, I, I mean, OK, maybe soccer and like, but of the big four of football, basketball, baseball and hockey, hockey's the least popular. And what does hockey have the least of American players? So maybe it's maybe that's maybe that's a, an unfair comparison. But soccer leagues across the world, the, the two other Canadian professional leagues, the, the soccer league and the basketball league in Canada have a ratio where you have to have a certain number of Canadian players on your roster. European soccer leagues Asian soccer leagues, South American soccer leagues, they all have requirements that you have a certain amount of local national players. Why is it that CFL fans, and maybe not fans, but critics, I don't know, but I keep seeing this argument of I want the best players to play, and the only way to do that is why why should we have a ratio? It's only in Canada. It's not only in Canada. This is not a Canadian thing. This is this is a, everywhere else but the United States does this. So stop comparing to the American leagues because it's not the same thing. And the other idea that I just want the best players to play there. We just, we just talked what 20 minutes ago, about how the Ticats have enough talented Canadians to potentially start 12. And you can't tell me that all 12 of those guys. Okay. Let's eliminate the offensive linemen. Okay. Because they're mostly Canadian, but you're telling me Chris Van Zyl, Brandon Revenberg, regardless of a national ratio, couldn't start. But does Chris Van Zyl develop? without a ratio because he was a defensive lineman from McMaster that went to Montreal. He was drafted by the Alouettes. They moved him to offensive line. They released him. He got picked up by the Argos. He developed, and now he's going to go to the hall of fame. Brandon Revenberg probably doesn't get the opportunity to start 
and at, if there's not a Canadian ratio. Andrew Harris, who spent, what, three years as basically a backup slash practice roster guy for the BC Lions, who now many people consider the greatest Canadian running back of all time, he does not get an opportunity to play in the CFL without the ratio. There are star players in this league, Canadian star players, that would not have had the opportunity to develop if not for the ratio. The idea that eliminating it will make the league better, I just don't find the proof of that. What's the difference between starting Lamar Durant and some, you know, nameless, no-name guy from Western Michigan? No offense to anyone out there that went to or played for Western Michigan, but the the idea that just naturally starting Americans means they're better, it, to me, it's never really held water with me. That's fair. Uh, what do you what do you what do you say to the the American players who are like why is this Canadian and these aren't my words these are them why is this Canadian scrub getting way more money than than me if that's the case again this but this is also a problem with but that's just their opinion like they opinion. see they see Canadians as lesser than but are they comparing Canadians at their position or are they comparing themselves to Canadians at other positions like. And are they well, compared I, I to starters? Vets uh, getting a huge contract, and he only had one sack last year, or something like that. I don't know. It's. I mean, there's definitely the ratio plays a part in why you have to pay Canadians more. And I don't or, necessarily or agree with that. That you know, this is a pro league. Why are we holding these guys' hands? But that's the same with the pro leagues across the world. So it's. it's yes, that's fair. That's fair. And I don't think people know that they just look at the states, and it's like the only, you know, only way to. Only place to look is the States for some people. But you're right, you know, European basketball leagues, ratio, European soccer leagues, ratio. So, yeah. It's, it's, and maybe, it's, and maybe so, not at the highest level. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I don't know if the English Premier League has a you have to have this many um, English people on your roster. But the and, and again, I know the CFL, it's the highest form of Canadian football, but it's not the highest form of professional sports in the world. It's the NFL is number one and the CFL is number two. I just never had a, it. It's you want to keep the Canada and the Canadian Football League, and I'm like you. I'm not one of those people who's like ratio, ratio, ratio. This is like you said, the hill I'm going to die on. I just think that there's a lot of misinformation on what the ratio is and how it's not just a Canadian thing. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, like yeah, I'm, I totally I'm, totally I'm more offended it. by the global stuff. Than I yeah. am by the Canadian ratio. Like uh, that's and that's that's nothing against global players, but like you're mandating the team start X number of global players or Ross. It's like those guys a lot of times. Well, look, we didn't we didn't even talk about the global draft because I think it's so irrelevant. How many punters got taken? I think I saw a tweet from John Hodge that said there were like 38 guys global players brought to the CFL Combine. Eight of them were selected in the global draft. Like that's mm-hmm. it. Could you imagine if eight of the players brought to the CFL combine for the Canadian draft were drafted and that was it out of 60 something picks, it was what, I think 27 draft picks in the global draft and not even a third of them came from the guys invited to the combine and how many of them were punters and kickers. Like that to me is something that I'd want to look at more than I'd want to look at the Canadian ratio. Yeah. The, it's obviously something that was implemented by the commissioner and the owners that uh, the GMs don't take seriously. Yep. I mean, so I remember I, yeah. the, the, the Saxley trade. It was like, oh, mm-hmm. they traded global picks. And everyone's like, oh, I wonder who the Ticats are going to take with that pick. They took a punter from Australia. Yep. That's probably. And, like, you know, if he's a good punter, then, you know, if great. he can help the team, then awesome. But, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, most of the players picked are kickers or punt, mostly punters. So, yeah. it's not exactly 
you know, going to make people excited. Well, that's just it. And the whole idea of doing this was, oh, we're going to bring these international guys over and they're going to become big names and we're going to get these international TV contracts. And not if they're friggin' punters, we're not. No, no one, no. no one watches football to watch punters, no matter where they are in the world. No, they're definitely not the, you know, people aren't rushing to buy punters jerseys. I don't no. think I've ever seen a punters jersey no, in the wild I before. I mean, I'm sure someone they're had like, yeah. oh, I'm sure someone out there in Edmonton owns a Hank Alistic jersey just because, yeah. I mean, he was a pretty darn good punter, but. No, no one's, no one, we just talk about how we're trying to decrease two and outs. We want more offense. We want better, you know, paced games. We're basically trying to get, take punters out of the game and to think that punters are going to bring people to the, to the table. I just, to me, it's it, it never, never made It was sense. a nice idea by Ambrosi, you know, maybe, you know, get some money from overseas for, for TV contracts, but it just, it just hasn't worked. No, and like I don't think the idea of a track trying to attract a global because football is getting bigger across the mm-hmm. globe. I I've never I don't have a problem with that. I think my problem is with the implementation of it, where it's like we're gonna do this, we're gonna start it right now, and you have to have one in your roster. It's like what if these guys aren't ready? Like do it in like why does it always have to be all or nothing? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like do it incrementally and bring it along slowly instead of trying to force it. And then when it doesn't work, everyone rebels against it, and now you failed. Instead yeah. of if you brought it along slowly, maybe things would have worked out a little bit better. Yeah, you're right. It was a it was a nice idea, but it was um, implemented poorly. Yeah, like most of Ambrosi's ideas have been. Like he yeah. said, did, did we talk about in the last episode? Where he said it's a hundred over a hundred percent chance we're going to get an expansion team. It's like, yeah, please. why would you make that statement? Like, yes, we all want so a, a tenth team. We all want a team in Atlantic Canada. But why would you come out and say, basically, it's a done deal when it's so far from a done deal? It doesn't make any sense unless he knows some information, but like, I don't think he does. Okay. Cause you need a stadium, you need a stadium and it's so hard to get a stadium built in Canada. So to say that is just, that pissed me off. Yeah. They're where are they playing this, this new touchdown Atlantic, isn't it? In like the middle Wolf, of nowhere. It's Wolfville, Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia. Yeah. Not even it's in Halifax. No. Um, very small community. Uh, I mean the tickets sold pretty well, but yeah, it's uh, I don't know, I don't know, man. Okay, last thing on on the CBA, they took a strike vote, ninety five percent in support. The PA has told the players not to come to camp with a new CBA. We got a week till this thing needs to be settled to get things going. Do you do you think there's actually going to be a work stoppage this time? In years past, I have doubted it, um, but I think there's some momentum this season to be like the players are finally like, okay, enough. Um, we're going to actually do it this time. Uh, I don't know for sure that's going to happen, but that's just my feeling that it's different this year and players are actually fed up, especially after that first offer that was put on the table. Do you think that maybe the the COVID missed season and they all went a year without getting paid, made them realize, oh, we we have some power because we went a year without getting any money and none of them starved, none of them, you know what I mean? Like yep. they got on with life just fine. Do you think maybe that that's kind of been like, okay, if we have to sit out a week or two weeks to, to really push this, we can like, I, I'm, I, I'm just, yeah. I'm just starting to wonder because like, we've never seen them this, we've seen them say things, but then we know they're going to get them to camp. They're going to, and it always happens where they get them into camp and then it's like, they get a, a crappy deal. This, this, like you said, this feels different. And I wonder if, 
having missed that season where no one got paid and realizing that it didn't, for lack of a better term, kill them, mm-hmm. maybe they have a little bit more confidence in the fact that they could hold out for something better. Well, yeah, I think a lot of these guys found new jobs, new opportunities. Yep. Uh, maybe some that even paid better than what they're uh, getting in the CFL. So I hope that's the case because we all know that you're not going to become rich playing in the CFL and the unless you're a quarterback and you play like 15, 20 years, um, it's going to be tough and you, you might have to have another job. And it's and, and football careers are so short that you should be preparing. You should have something lined up if you're a football player and playing in the CFL. So, um, listen, I, I don't want them to go on strike, but uh, I also want them to stand up for themselves and, uh, you know, tell the CFL that they can't just push them around anymore. Well, we got a week to go until we find out where this is all going to go. I'm hoping that a week from now we're talking about the return of football and not, mm-hmm. oh, are we, because it's been, it, we haven't had a real season now in three years. And if there's, we had nothing in 2020, we had the shortened pull, pushback season in 2021. I'm really hoping we can get football. I'm really hoping these two sides can come together and we can get something better than, uh, than, than, than what we've seen so far and that we can actually get football in the field in time. We can have a full season and just get back to what we all love as fans. And that's watching professional Canadian football in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. And the CFL needs to, to think about, you know, the new leagues that are starting up. And I, I don't think the USFL is going to last, um, but you never know. Maybe the, the XFL actually, you know, sticks around this time. You know, they have the, the smart people behind it. You know, the rock is, is a smart man. He knows what he's doing and they have that partnership with the NFL now. And, you know, I know that every league has failed miserably in the, in the spring league history, but, um, you know, every soccer league in North America failed miserably until the MLS came around. Yep. Um, everyone thought that uh, in wrestling, there would never be anything even close to WWE and AEW isn't there yet, but they're, they're, they're competing pretty good. So, um, things fail for, for long periods of time. And then all of a sudden there's something that is successful. So they need to think about that. I agree. Um, okay. Before we go, Mike, I do want to do a little plugging. Um, have you had a chance to listen to the new Ty Cats in 10 show I started this week? Yes. Very excited about it. Very good first episode, Josh. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been kind of fun doing something a little different. Uh, we're going to keep it going. I'm, I don't know how many I'm going to do a week. I think people thought it was going to be daily and it's, it's definitely not going to be daily, but, uh, I know you you did your whole Grey Cup flashback episodes. I hope you get back to doing that because there's still many that you haven't covered yet. Mm-hmm. I, and I thought those were wonderful. So we're just adding some new stuff all the time now that I have the the new gig with Three Downs opened up some time. And I, my plan was to do them in the morning, but then the morning kind of gets away from me. So they usually tend to be in the afternoon. Um, even the last one, though, was in the evening. I uh, recorded about 15 minutes before... Speaking of AEW, Dynamite started this past Wednesday. And I was like, get it done, get it out. There we go. Yeah. Um, but it's been fun. If anyone out there listens to this show and listens to that one, if you have any, any ideas for, for improvements, for things you'd like to see, something you'd like to hear, please feel free to hit us up. Uh, you can hit us up on the, the Twitter account for the show, or you can have my personal account. Um, just, yeah, it's a, a, just a new addition to the family and it's, it's been fun to do so far. So hopefully, you know, we get a season going and there'll mm-hmm. be even more Ticat stuff to talk about. Yeah. Ticat fans just- have told me a long time that they've been looking for, they've been starved for content. Well, mm-hmm. let's give it to them. Yeah, and it's just going to get better and better as you can, you can tell, you know, information. You know what I mean when you're at practices and you see whatever. Yeah. So I'm just uh, I'm excited that we're expanding our brand. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, okay. So that was pod ski for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.